Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. Get in the know. Non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. All right, Purple Daily. State of the Vikings offensive line here with Cronin, Mackie, and Judd. And uh, before we do that, a quick thank you to Federated Mutual Insurance Company. Federated has been standing behind Minnesota business owners for over 100 years based in Owatonna, Minnesota. And uh, and this is probably the most important year ever to have an insurance company that you trust and have trusted resources during this pandemic period. So if you're interested in finding out more, federatedinsurance.com is the place to go to find your local contact, your local representative. And remember, at Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. Football. <laughs> Welcome in to Purple Daily. Mackie and Judd, Courtney Cronin from ESPN.com. She covers the Vikings and joins us on Fridays on this show. And uh, we so yesterday, Courtney, we dove into the latest comments from Gary Kubiak about the Vikings offensive line. And I think that's going to launch us into... Just a wider-ranging state of the Vikings offensive line meat and potatoes discussion here. We ho- we're hoping you can help answer some questions for us. Okay. And question number one is, do you buy that the Vikings have locked in four out of the five starters here already before they get into any of these abbreviated team workouts? Or do you think that that's some kind of an offensive line smokescreen? I mean, I could see it both ways, but I also look at the time. It's August 7th and what? that the season's essentially one month away. Like, how are you going to try out all of these various offensive line combinations, have the wide open competition at guard, like Rick Spielman said in April? Like, we didn't know the point we were going to be at here. So in April, it made sense to be like, yeah, Pat Elfine, you're fighting for your job. You weren't very good at left guard last year. We needed an upgrade. Um, But to me, it kind of seems like this was the inevitable as we got closer to camp and realizing that these guys aren't going to have time to figure it out. They've got to get their vets in and go. Like, honestly, at this point, it just kind of feels like, you know, this might be the best of all of their options simply because they're in a time constraint right now. And getting somebody up to speed, like an Ezra Cleveland, like a Drew Simi, I mean, you'd probably expect Simi to be a little bit further along. Dakota Dozier's there. That would make sense, but... You know, maybe they're just kind of like, hey, the zone blocking scheme worked with the five guys that we had last year where Sands, one of them at right guard. Let's just find another right guard to plug him in and, you know, kind of go from there. So the, the, the thing that Coop said that, that interested, interested me the most, me the Courtney, most Courtney, was when he talked about the fact that and he did not make this clear. OK, so it, yeah. if you've got the interpretation here, tell me <laughs> and I'll I'll back off. 
But it looked like on the Zoom call, and since you guys don't have access right now to practices or walkthroughs, he left it open-ended about the fact that Cleveland was working at guard, which I think we're all like, oh, okay, not shocking. Uh, But he also insinuated, I guess, that he's working at right guard. And if that's the case, help me here, because I don't understand moving a left tackle to the other side of the line to teach him a position that's going to take a lot of work that he is probably not going to play long-term. Help. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find it. Um, the Vikings Twitter account tweeted something like saying, like, Ezra Cleveland's career begins at right guard in the NF. Yeah, here it is. He's So, I mean, it comes from their official Twitter account. That's really the only indication we had because mm-hmm. Kubiak said it, it, it was – Perfect whenever they whenever they send it whenever they send a tweet out, I always just hear like, mm-hmm. "Well, the Vikings have tweeted." Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it, it would make sense because that's what the official team count, account says. But um, I was a little surprised by it too, Judd, because this guy is going to be your franchise left tackle. You didn't draft him to play right guard, but Riley Reef, according to Gary Kubiak, we, she he shot down the notion that Reef was going to move inside to guard because. Here's how it would have made sense to me if you were going to do that. You take your franchise left tackle, the guy you drafted to play left tackle, you play him at left tackle day one. You move Reef inside to guard, you're with him for another year, and you say goodbye, Bradbury, Samia, um, O'Neal. But clearly I think that they just feel a time constraint there, and it's kind of like, well, guard is the biggest need this year. They can get by with Riley Reef at tackle. I mean, Riley Reef's an above average to good tackle on a very regular basis. He's just expensive and the price is not worth, you know, the product in a way. So they realize that they're going to have to move on from him eventually, but to, to start hit, to get him reps at the twos, because the way that I kind of inferred this, I'm like, all right, he said he's next to Blake, which means Blake Brandle. I think he's a six round tackle pick out of Oregon state. And so I went back and looked, I'm like, all right, well, Blake Brandle finished like the last 32 games of his career, something like that at left tackle. But you have Rashad Hill. So what does what do the twos look like? I think you can infer that Hill is over at left tackle, Brandle's over at right tackle, and then Ezra Cleveland's over at right guard with the twos because Drew Samia it sounds like is working with the ones. So um, Gary did say that he's like, yeah, we want to get him in a spot that he hasn't had a lot of reps before. Well, you pick the right one. Uh, he's definitely yeah. not had a lot of reps there. I mean. But they did say that they're kind of like going to settle him in and, and maybe we'll see. I, I would assume we're going to see a change. Um, they're going to have to try some different combinations. It can't just be like four and then add one in um, once they do get to padded practices because they're still in the walkthrough stage. It's still very early. I mean, but to learn different hand placement and it's different from playing guard on the left side of the line or the tackle on the left side of the line and playing guard on the right side. That's, that's a lot to take in, in a four week period when you miss 10 weeks of the off season program. So I'm going to, I'm when I talk about offensive linemen, it's hard. Like I've told Judd this interior play, like I lean on pro football focus for a lot of this stuff yeah. because like I would, the only time I'd, I'd be able to tell you if like Drew Samia in his forty snaps last year was doing a good job or bad job is if I saw him getting trucked and uh, and Cousins went down, and yeah. so I so Pro Football Focus I lean heavily when we talk offensive linemen, and last year according to PFF uh, only two plus seventy grades overall offensive line play up mm-hmm. and down the roster regardless of snap count Riley Reef and Brian O'Neill. And just for context, it's a 1 to 100 scale, a 70 grade. So O'Neill was 70, Reef was 71. Think of them as like real life Madden ratings for the audience. 70 is fine, like it's 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 kind of league average, it's passable. Um everybody else was below 65 according to Pro Football Focus. So I guess my question to you Courtney is, 
at the end of this season, if they play this season, at the end of this season, who do you think will be regarded as the Vikings' best offensive lineman? Probably Brian O'Neill. I think that he has got such a high trajectory from where he was drafted to what his body looks like now compared to where it was three years ago or, you know, three, two seasons ago uh, in 2018. We talked to him about that the other day, just like, you know, how far along he is. But also think about it. He had that full off season. They had, you know, him, Mike Remmers and Rashad Hill working at right tackle in 2018 with Tony Sperano, um in OTAs. And that, um, I, I just, I'll never forget that. Like he was such a different version of himself when he started OTAs to where he came back in training camp, even. And by the time week six came around, I think it was that Arizona game when he had to start. Um, that was a big deal. Cause he, physically look the part like more than he did weeks before. So um, I think that he got the benefit of having the progression throughout the NFL for throughout his first two years in the NFL to where he's at right now. And I can really appreciate just the fact of like what time means to an offensive lineman. Like you need that time to, you know, to learn not to have your chest exposed. And I can still picture Brian Robeson slapping his arms down in the night practice Um, and just kind of like welcoming into the NFL. I mean, Brian O'Neill has really grown and developed as a really good right tackle. And I think that that's, you know, to me, that's going to be the, the no brainer answer. I mean, Garrett Bradbury, how much better can he get this year? I think that it's still going to take some time because he's undersized and you're asking him to like kind of, you know, reach in this zone scheme and he's sure he's athletic, but he's smaller and he's going up against like really good nose tackles and interior defensive linemen. So until, I mean, unless he gets bigger or stronger, like that's going to always be an issue. Um, so I do think, you know, Brian O'Neill is probably the safe answer there. And I think it's the expected one because you know what you're getting in Reef. You know what you're getting in Elf Line. You know what you're getting it for, you know, at least what you can expect to get in Bradbury and Right Guard's a mystery. Right. How, how safe in your mind is Elf Line for this year? Because I think he's the default guy now, right? Because mm-hmm. th- there's been no time to work on, on the field since uh, – 2019 came to an end, Courtney. But how yeah. safe? How safe do you think his job is? And is he is he sort of a holding place guy? Because I mean, my faith since he got hurt in him uh, yeah. is not great, and I feel like he just unfortunately might be cooked. I, I mean, it's not his fault. Um, no, I mean it's the ankle injury, it's the shoulder. It's yeah, the but do you think he he might just be? Hey, we're, we're going to plug you in because we know you day one, but uh, by by week five, we might be going in a different direction at left guard. Yeah, I think that it's just a, it's a product of injuries, and, and the fact is he was drafted to play center here, yep. and um, you know moving him over to left guard, I just don't know if that was really the right move coming off of the injuries. Like that 2018 season, he was not the same player. That's why he showed. Remember, he started on pup in training camp, and it was this big mystery. Like Zim, Zim wouldn't say a whole lot about it, so of course it created this like training camp conspiracy of like Pat Elfine, is he ever going to come back? Because that's when they locked, lost Nick Easton because he broke his neck in practice. Remmers got hurt on a goal line drill. Like they were really hurting. Um, so they needed Elfine back. And like, I remember he had the shoulder and he had the um, shoulder and the ankle and he had to have both off season surgeries for both. And he just really never recovered. And last year we were, it was um, a purple daily show and Alex Boone was on with us on a Tuesday I remember like looking through the first few weeks of the season and I have it up right now. He had 32 pressures last year. Um, and I think through the, for, through the first two weeks of the seat, three weeks, four weeks of the season, excuse me, because he didn't play week two um, when they were in green Bay. I think he was hurt. Um, he had six pressures and like, that, like I remember Boone going through that, talking about Bradbury and the amount of pressures he'd given up, and just the quarterback hits, and in Elf Line too, just like kind of that side of the line from center. 
Um, and he's like, those are numbers that like tackles should be giving up like in an entire season. Um, you know what I mean? Like, so I kind of felt like it was an issue back then that they just never were able to figure out. Cause Kirk cousins doesn't have issues sensing the periphery pressure. I know it looks like it sometimes, especially when he's trying to throw a screen pass and gets the yips, but like, that's not the issue. The issue has always been pressure coming up through the middle, the way that, you know, Akeem Hicks, um, Grady Jarrett, all those guys that he faced early on in the season last year would just push the pocket. He had nowhere to step up because his offensive lineman, the interior part of the offensive line was really struggling to hold that pressure off. So um, you think immediately, okay, well, why don't they get better on the interior of the offensive line by trying out different guys? Well, I think that, you know, time is just really not going to let them do that, which you're right. I do think that Pat Alfine, I mean, just go solely going off of what Gary said the other day, uh, we will be out there for practice eventually. I hope um, that we'll actually get to see with our own eyes, like what, where, who's where, because you can't really tell at this point, but um, it feels like that's the inevitable safe option for now until somebody's, able to surpass him yeah and and obviously he's not Kirk's not nimble enough to just flush out when you watch the Seahawks mm-hmm. bad offensive line it's very noticeable but then Russell Wilson just flushes out and buys five extra seconds rolling to his right and makes a play down the field and Kirk Cousins it's not really his fault like he was born with the legs that genetics gave him and he needs is that my excuse? a better left and right guard can I use that one yeah, uh, you have a lot of we, uh, between the two of us. We have it's a lot God, of genetic deficiencies. It's God's fault. Actually. It's not my fault. It's God's <laughs> fault. Go talk to God. So on, on just circling oh, back to Bradbury for a second too. Mm-hmm. What what was your sense of? I mean, they obviously thought very highly of him to draft him where they did a year and a half ago. What is the consensus opinion from people you talk to, and and whether it's Gary Kubiak and, and other coaches? Does the organization still feel as highly about Garrett Bradbury now as they did when they drafted him? Or was last year kind of a, well, I mean, he's undersized. Like we knew that that was going to happen at the center position. I mean, yeah, they did draft him very high at 18. Um, So you expect, okay, that this guy's going to be pretty darn good. And I think he was, he had an up and down year and you're, you're playing against some really good interior defensive linemen in the NFC North. So you really could, I mean, he couldn't have picked like a worse division for him to start in. I'm sure he saw that when he got drafted being like, crap, Snacks Harrison, uh, <laughs> all those dudes on the uh, Packers defensive line. Yeah, Clark in uh, Green Bay Kenny is Hicks. a nightmare. Clark, yeah, Kenny Clark. Like, I mean, they were just, yeah, Akeem Hicks. Um, it's probably thrilled that Akeem Hicks. Didn't Akeem Hicks opt out this season? Am uh, I wrong about that? No, another uh, another Bears player did. But it was a, yeah, it was um, – I know you're talking about it's not Akeem Hicks. Player. Yeah, he's probably wishing Akeem Hicks would have opted out this yes. year. Um, uh, Eddie Goldman. Eddie Goldman. Eddie Goldman. Opted Eddie out. Goldman. That's right. That's right. Um, I, I think that there's you give those guys a couple year window. I mean, they did the same thing with Elfline, except that Bradbury didn't have the injuries uh, that Elfline did playing into you know an NFC Championship game his first year in the league. So, um, you know, I think that you expect that there will be a jump from year one to two. And we, we talked to him very briefly in the off season. I want to say it was back in early June, uh, just about his workout routine and, and, you know, working together with some of the offensive linemen. I think it was him, uh, Aviant Collins, Dakota Dozier. They were all working up with um, Adam Thielen's gym um, and just trying to work together. Cause it's very difficult when you think about this pandemic and what it's limited guys doing on the field so far of like, you can't play offensive line by yourself. Like, you know what I mean? Like you need 
somebody with a bag, you need somebody out there like next to you. If you, if you guys are working on different blocking schemes, whatever. So I think he was able to get some of that work in that like he, you know, maybe wouldn't have been able to had nobody been doing anything like truly anything this off season. So that's good. And it's definitely a benefit for someone like Garrett Bradbury. But I do think he will at the end of the day be in a much better spot than he was last year, but it's also going to be dependent upon who he's got on either side of him. I hope you're right. Cause if he's not, it's going to be a big problem. If he was like a third round or fourth round pick, you'd say oh, that's mm-hmm. too bad. First round pick. Uh, what was Koob's trying to do on the, con- on the zoom call? Excuse me. I almost said conference call. That's really old school. What, <laughs> what was he trying to do in terms of drew Samia? Because he didn't meant, because, not much. but this was a guy that we expect to possibly vie for or start at right guard so so has he really fallen out of favor or was this a zoom motivational technique by Koobs to light a fire below Samia in some way shape or form well I had asked O'Neal about Samia because the logical thought uh, Brian O'Neill talked to us before Gary Kubiak like my thought process was I know you haven't played a lot next to him because he had uh, Josh Klein next to you last year and even when he couldn't play it was Dakota Dozier but, you know, what do you think about Drew Samia? And he's saying that, like, he's, you know, you would infer that in walkthroughs and the little bit they've gotten on the field that Samia would be there at right guard. And it sounds like he is. It really does. Um, just at least for the first team right now. Um, okay. Granted, we don't know. Gigantic mystery because he, um, I mean, Ezra Cleveland's working with the twos. That That's just, that is what it is. I mean, it's either Drew Samia or Dakota Dozier there at right guard until we actually can lay our eyes on it. Um, that's what I'm going with. But I think that, you know, I didn't really take a whole ton from the comments other than, you know, what does that mean for Drew Samia? If you have your second round left tackle playing right guard right now, does that mean that he's in jeopardy of not winning that job? And I think that that's probably what you could infer from that. Um, but, you know, what O'Neill said is that he's a lot more confident this year. Like he, he knows what he's doing. He's walking around the, you know, he's in the building. He's, you know, talking with teammates. I mean, just kind of the natural like rookie to, to first second year type jump uh, that I think you expect from a guy like that. But he definitely um, he's an intriguing one because he was such a good offensive lineman at Oklahoma in this exact same scheme and playing right guard before that you expected it would be such a seamless transition. But, you know, even last year when we were in training camp and everybody's like, Oh, that's the right guard. Josh Klein's going to get cut. Like, we saw this every single day. He just, he wasn't able to make that jump. So, you know, maybe that red shirt year that both he and Ole Udo got will give them a chance then to, you know, actually crack the starting five if possible. So what just overall, do you think the Vikings have any chance to sniff a top 10 offensive line in 2020 for the first time in like eight years? I, I No, I don't think so. I think there's just so many pieces that are still, not missing, but it's like you you don't have the luxury of time to to figure this thing out. Yeah. When we um also on Purple Daily back in I want to say March, um you know we were talking to Jeremiah Searles and he was I was asking him at the very same thing. I'm like, hey, like offensive lineman, like you know you usually have, come into camp looking like you're coming into like rookie mini camp looking like a pipsqueak. Um, obviously like bigger than me. So like, I mean, but all of them are, um, but like I look at them, I'm like, you're small. And uh, by the time they come back to camp, they've got like 20 pounds on. Cause all they're doing is eating peanut butter and jelly and drinking whole milk all summer. God, that sounds um, like a dream. Give me six chipotle yeah, and yeah, that's just that. lunch. Yeah. Yeah. It'd have exactly. to, to be almond milk for me in the lactose. I don't know, but Judd too, probably. But other than that, yeah. All the calories though, that those guys Drink have beer. to consume. And, and Searles talked about like the lockout year and just like, you know, once it was go time, 
the rookies kind of fall back. You have to get your vets ready to go. And, you know, we were talking at that point with him about, okay, let's, let's pretend no like retrospect, no OTAs, no rookie mini camp, no anything, no mandatory mini camp. You get to training camp. He's like, you've got six weeks. You've got to get your vets ready to go. Like yep. the rookies will fall to the wayside. So I think that all the stuff that they wanted to do, while I'm sure it's still probably in the plans somewhere, you have to be realistic about the time constraints you're dealt with here within this pandemic. Um, and the fact that you're not getting on the field, probably we, don't, we still don't even know the first day of training camp practice. It's probably not going to be till like August 17th. I know that like some other teams have talked about that Monday being the first padded practice for, I think the saints are one of those teams. I would assume the Vikings will be in that same window, but if you've got like three weeks to get this thing together, you're not trying out a different offensive line combination every single day. So I think you do revert kind of back to status quo, which, you know, is a top 20 something offensive line. If it can get the job done, great, but you're also still leaving yourself kind of vulnerable and exposed if you don't fix those guard spots, because that's been the biggest issue for this team, you know, ever since I've been covering them. That being said, how do you, if you're a team, Courtney, how do mm-hmm. you wage training camp competitions and more importantly than that, make decisions now? I, I mean, ordinarily they have mounds of practice. I mean, they, they film every practice and watch it back. They have preseason games. I mean, they have mounds of evidence to say uh, the three guys better than the two guys who are going to bump the three guy up. You know, I mean, there's just so many decisions made because th- these guys watch film constantly at night during training camp, that's all basically gone. How, how do you make decisions on basically it sounds like randomly probably, Hey, I'm keeping him. I'm letting him go. Cause you still got to get down to 53 in a practice squad. You you do. And I think that, you know, everybody wants to talk about like how difficult it is. And it's an easy storyline right now of like, what do you do? How do you get innovative? Like they've got enough eyes on these guys that they can, they can at least, project like how good it could potentially be i mean they have scouts for a reason they have a personnel department for a reason those people have been watching these dudes since you know for years but as it comes down to the roster and what you see in training camp i think what you see in training camp is pretty much gonna reflect what you see on that 53 because you just don't have time to tinker like just you just don't and you know a lot of udfas are not going to make this roster a lot of lower round draft picks are probably not going to make this roster um you know, there, there could certainly be some veterans that are surprise cuts, but like, think about the defensive line, for example, like when I put out my 53 in like J- uh, July 24th or something, we always do one pre-camp um, and I'll do one again, like right before cut down day. Like I had Shamar Stefan as a cut because I thought, okay, um, you know, he's getting the competition at three technique might overtake him because he's a two down lineman. Um, and then I'm like, oh, well, that's not going to happen now because Michael Pierce opted out and changed the entire look of the defensive line and everything else. So, you know, they're probably going to have to hold on to those guys who are like veterans on the bubble simply because they know the offense, they know the defense, they know the scheme, and it's easier to get by with that than, you know, I know Mike Zimmer said that like for some of those second year guys, it's like, if there's a rookie that's better than you, we're going to try to go with that trajectory. Like you're on notice, but I just think for a team that still wants to win games this year, it's not going to just be, well, the, these rookies are promising these second year guys you're out. Like it's nice to say in theory, but I'll believe that when I see it. So before we wrap this episode, I think the theme here is the Vikings offensive line is in another transition year. There's a lot to be determined, especially at the guard positions. Again, Dex, mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a screen share here, okay? Yep. So I want to show you the latest video. Actually, this is from a couple months ago. And uh, and he has actually sent me similar videos, literally just like excitedly texting me these <laughs> things. This is Alex Boone. 
And here, I'll, I'll make this, I'll enlarge this here. This is Alex Boone, who has gained probably 40 pounds since the last time any of us saw him. Oh, he my is God, not, he's massive. He, I mean, like, just the shoulder. Yeah. Dude, 40-inch box jumps? Are you kidding me? He's doing a box jump the size of Declan right now. Yeah. And, and he's dancing at the top of it. My, no, he, um, when he came in studio... <laughs> It definitely was in 2020 before the world turned upside down. Like that was one of my first times meeting him in person. Um, and he definitely looked like had the Joe Thomas going on. Where yes. it's like you were an offensive lineman, but now you look like a tight end because, you know, you, you don't eat that much. And I remember we were talking when he decided he wanted to try out for, you know, get back into the NFL and how much he was going to have to eat. And Judd brought up the Chipotles and the burritos. He definitely told us that. I was like, I could do this. Oh my God. Look at, look at him go like good for him. His, his upper body. I mean, he looks like just jacked. So um, he's he, and, and and by the way, there is zero chance that the Vikings would bring Alex Boone back just because of, just the way it ended, I don't think he would yeah. go back. There's there would have to be some bridges mended there, but uh, but I yeah. but I, there's been teams that have shown interest in him, and even before COVID, I think where he got screwed a little bit here is he's the type of guy that you'd want to see work out in person yep. and go against yep. teams in the preseason. And, and you can't do that during COVID. So I know. I really I thought about that. Like I Matthew Collar and I were talking about that. You know, back in April May, that time where it's like, man, how's Boone doing? Have you heard from him? And I just like you know, it couldn't the his coming back to the NFL really couldn't have happened at a worst possible time, just yep. because of all this like, uncertainty we were dealt. Because in a normal year, you're right. He's the workout guy. He's the guy you're bringing in, being like, all right, like you want your second shot at this. Like we want to see you work out. We want to see what you look like. We want to see how you handle the weight that you just put on your body, the whole thing. Like um, I, I hope that doesn't hurt him in, in this r- long run. Like I, I'm rooting for him. He's, you know, he's an awesome dude. Uh, but that is, I mean, look at the dedication and like, look how much his body's changed. I mean, that, he's probably doing that like every day during quarantine. Just <laughs> but, but you know what? During the pandemic, my, my body's changed too. Just I mean, I've, gained quite a bit, too. I've gained quite a bit of weight. I just don't look, they didn't go to the same places that boonies did. You're not, you're not jumping on boxes that are like 50 to 60. No, he's, yeah. he's breaking down beer boxes. Yeah, exactly. you know, yeah. Do you know what would happen to my hamstrings if I even attempted to jump on a box half that size court? Oh athlete God, athlete no. challenge, athlete challenge. I would Let's be, I would be on the permanent IL of life. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Me too. No thanks. Although, you know what? Boone, he's our buddy. The joke's on Boone, though, if he doesn't get signed, because he did all that. He, he gained 40 pounds of muscle for nothing. That So we, hopefully he gets to a training camp at some point. I know. Point I, I, I'm rooting for him. I hope he does, too. <laughs> so, all right. That's a wrap on this episode of Purple Daily. Courtney Cronin. You can follow her on Twitter and also Instagram. Uh, Courtney R. Cronin. It's a Courtney R. Cronin still on Twitter? Is yes. that your handle still? Okay. And uh, you can follow Judd Zolget at Jay Zolget at Phil Mackey at Dex's tweets. And we'll see you next time on Purple Daily. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.